The following message entitled, Jesus Christ, Our Perfect High Priest, part of the series Hold Fast, was given by Stephen Altrogi on the 1st of May, 2011, at Sovereign Grace Church of Indiana, Pennsylvania. To learn more about our church, please visit www.sgcindianapa.org. Good morning. My name's Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks for coming this morning. Didn't Greg and the band do a great job leading us in hymns this morning? Uh, If you could turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5, please. Hebrews 5. We're going to be in verses 1 to 10 this morning. We're in the midst of our series called Hold Fast on the book of Hebrews. And if you would just join with me and pray just that God would speak to us through his word. Lord, we thank you that you are a speaking God, that you have not left us to wonder what you're like. And Lord, I thank you that you sent Jesus into the world to demonstrate what exactly you are like. So Father, I ask now that you would speak to us through the Holy Spirit, that you would affect our hearts, Lord, and that we would see more of you, more of Jesus, more of the Holy Spirit. Father, we want to know you more. Lord, I pray that your word would be a comfort to us, that it would stir us, that it would give us fresh love for you, and that we would leave here more grateful that we know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want you to, for a moment, in your minds, set aside the fact that you are probably a Christian. You're in a country that identifies itself as being a, quote, Christian country. Set aside all your knowledge of what it means to be a Christian. And I want you to, for a moment, imagine yourself to be a Jew living in biblical times. And I want you to ask this question. Imagine yourself asking this question as a Jew living in biblical times. Ask yourself this question. How can I know that my sins are forgiven? How could you know that? How could a person know? See, as Christians, when we talk about forgiveness of sins, we immediately think about Jesus. But I want you to think, okay, how, how could I know? If I was a Jew living in biblical times, how could I know that my sins, that when I sin, that God would forgive me? And that God would hear me? And that God wouldn't reject me? And that God will accept me? That's a pretty important question, isn't it? That's an important question for every person to answer. And if you were a Jew, part of your assurance of your forgiveness would come from a person. Part of your assurance of forgiveness would come from the high priest, or more accurately, it would come from what the high priest did for you. Because in the Bible, the high priest in In Judaism, the high priest had a very specific role. And it can seem very foreign to us because we don't talk about this very much. But a high priest was supposed to offer sacrifices for sins. And so your assurance that your sins were forgiven was very closely tied to this person. 
this high priest who would go into the temple and he was ultimately responsible for all the sacrifices for sin that happened. And you trusted, you would trust that the high priest, that he was doing his job for you, that he was offering sacrifices for you. And you would trust that God forgives you because I know that the high priest, I know he did this for me. He offered a sacrifice for me. And the high priest, he was important for the Jewish people. It was so important to them. Now I want you to imagine this. Imagine that you become a Christian, which is what happened to many Jews. And that's what we're looking at in the book of Hebrews. We're look, this book of Hebrews was written to Jews who probably had become Christians. They had come out of a Jewish faith. And so they're going to have this question on their minds. And the question that's going to be on their minds is this. Who's going to be my high priest now? Because this is all about forgiveness of sins. So they're wondering, who is going to be my high priest now? Who's going to offer sacrifices for me? That's an important question. They had to be wondering this. They had to be wondering, who, how, how can I know that I can stand before God? Who's going to represent me to God? And I think initially, these seem like sort of foreign questions to us, don't, don't they? Because it's not like you on a Sunday, you're not coming in here, you're not leading your goat or your lamb into the church, and you're not handing it over to us and saying, okay, can you offer this for me today? And we're not taking it into a back room and doing all that you would do with a sacrifice. We have no concept of this sacrificial system. But this was really important to the Jews. And what we're going to see this morning is that the person of a high priest, he matters to us too. This is actually very important to every person. Not just to a Jewish Christian. Not just to a Jew. This matters to us. And we have to ask the question, who is our high priest? So let's look down at Hebrews 5, 1 to 10 together. Let's read this together. It says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also, Christ did not exalt himself to be a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And if you want a main point to hang all your your focus on, if you want a main point to look at for this whole passage, it's this. God has appointed Jesus to be our perfect high priest. Not their perfect high priest. Not the high priest of the Jews. God has appointed Jesus Christ to be my perfect high priest and your perfect high priest. And the way that this section of scripture is broken down, it's pretty simple. 
First, the author of Hebrews, he just describes what a high priest in general was like. What did a high priest do? What was the job of a high priest? And he tells us the qualifications. And then in the second part of this passage, he just says, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. And look at how Jesus fulfills all these. And look at how he exceeds all these requirements. And he invites us to put our trust in Jesus. So first thing we're going to look at is the qualified high priest. What a high priest had to be like. So look down at verse 1. Verse 1 says, Every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. To offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. And so one of the first qualifications is that a high priest had to be appointed. This wasn't a position that you could just take on yourself. You couldn't just wake up one day and decide, you know what, this whole shepherding business is just really not working for me. Mom's always said I look good in robes, and I do look good in an ephod too, so I think I'm going to try out for the high priest business. You couldn't do that. You couldn't sign up for it. You couldn't take like a, like a high priest aptitude test that would determine if you could do it. You had to be appointed for it. And you had to be appointed by God to do it. Only God could appoint someone to be a high priest. Now, why was this? Why this very specific restriction here? Well, the reason was because a high priest had a very important, sacred job. And he did this for the people of Israel. And this job was that he was supposed to represent the people of Israel to God. Do you see the importance of this? He was supposed to represent the people to God. He was supposed to offer sacrifices for the people. He acted as a representative for the people and he offered sacrifices to God so that God would forgive their sins. And this is really important. This... We're talking about how can forgiveness happen? Well, part of it was because God gave the people of Israel a high priest who would offer sacrifices for sins. And how was it possible that a holy God, how could a holy, righteous God who hates sin, how was it possible for him to dwell with Israel? How could that even be possible? How could the God who made everything dwell with a people who were sinful? It's because God had appointed someone to offer sacrifices for the people, to pray for the people. This high priest had such an important job. And God would only offer sacrifices offered by the high priest. I'm sorry, God would only accept sacrifices offered by the high priest. Not just anyone could go into the holy place and plop a lamb on the altar and say, Well, God, here's my sacrifice. Forgive me. High priest did that. Only the high priest could, in a sense, only the high priest could offer forgiveness, in a sense. It came ultimately from God, but the high priest was the one who appealed to God for forgiveness for the people. And the reason God did this was he wanted to remind Israel that sin is really serious. God takes sin seriously and he can't just forgive sin just as if it was nothing. Something has to be done. A sacrifice has to be made. Punishment has to happen somewhere. And so God instituted this whole sacrificial system to remind Israel, I'm a holy God. And don't take sin lightly. I love you. I love you. I want to be with you. I want to dwell with you. I care about you. But if we're going to be together... 
there has to be something done about sin. He wanted, God loved them and he wanted to provide forgiveness, but it couldn't just be like he just brushed sin under the rug. So he instituted this whole system of sacrifices. And so when people offered a sacrifice, they were reminded, I'm a sinner, God is holy, and I need someone to go between me and God. I need someone to offer a sacrifice for me. And that's what the high priest did. So he, had to, he was appointed to offer sacrifices. And then the second qualification was he had to deal gently with the people. Look down at verse 2. Verse 2 says, He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. See, the high priest, he couldn't be this pompous, arrogant windbag who had no tolerance for the faults of other people. He couldn't be like that. The high priest knew or should know that he was weak, that just like everyone else, he was a sinner. And God wanted to remind the high priest of this, and so he required that the high priest offer sacrifices for himself first. Look down at verse 3. It says, because of this, because of his weakness, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. And have you ever known someone that... It's, it, can, it can be so frustrating to be around these people. Have you ever known someone that was hypercritical of everyone's faults and yet couldn't see their own faults? Hypercritical of the slightest failure that someone would have and yet unable to see that they're probably doing the same very things and like when you're around them it's like you're just waiting for them to like pounce on you and you're just waiting for them to find ah you i you see that mistake you're just waiting for them to say that to you it's like you're walking on eggshells around them and they don't have any grace towards anybody there's no grace there's no there's no willingness to just deal with people's weaknesses they're just uptight, hypercritical, and a high priest couldn't be like this. He had to deal gently with people. He had to be patient with them. He had to deal gently with their sins, with their weaknesses, with their failures. He couldn't condone sin. It wasn't like he could just overlook it and say, ah, it's all right, everybody has problems like that. He couldn't condone sin, but he also couldn't flip out at their sin. He couldn't flip out in self-righteous, I can't believe you did that, anger. He had to deal gently with them because he knew his own weakness. And he knew his own faults. And he had to walk this middle line so that he could effectively minister. And I want you to keep this description in mind. Remember this. Because this is going to help us as we think about Jesus. The high priest had to deal gently with people. Remember that. Because it's going to help us as we look at Jesus as our high priest. And then verse 4 reminds us that high priest, he couldn't take this honor on himself. He had to be appointed. It says, no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. And Aaron, he's the model high priest in the Old Testament. He was the first high priest, and every high priest had to be descended from Aaron. Now, why does this all matter? What, what, does, this, what does any of this have to do with us in 2011? Why should we care about Israel in 2011? Here's why. God hasn't changed. God has not changed over the last 4,000 years. God is still holy. He still 
cannot be in the presence of sin. God still cannot allow sin to go unpunished. He's still righteous. And He still requires a sacrifice for sins. Have you ever thought about that? God still does require that there be a sacrifice for sins. Still, today, there has to be a sacrifice for sins. And you and I need a high priest. I need a high priest. I've sinned against God. I've rebelled against God. I haven't loved people like I should have. I've been arrogant toward people. I've been impatient with people. I've been hypercritical of people. I've been just like that. And so do I, do I think, have you ever thought about this? Do I think that I can just waltz into the presence of God with all my sins and all my failures? Do you think that I can just come in on my own, just as I am, nothing, no qualifications? Can I just come into the presence of God that the Bible describes as a consuming fire? With all my sins and all the times I failed to love God, do I think that I can just come to God? Do I think that I can approach God however I want? The angels, as they circle the throne, they cover their eyes and they say, Holy, holy, holy. And when Isaiah saw God, he trembled and he said, I'm undone. Do I think that I can just come to this God just as I am? I can't. I need a high priest. And so the question I think we all need to ask is, who's going to offer a sacrifice for me? Who will offer a sacrifice for my sins? Who's going to represent me before God? Who's going to take up my case before God and say, Father, accept them? Who's going to do that? And some of you this morning, I don't need to convince you that you're guilty. You know you're guilty. You've committed lots of sins, big sins, bad sins. You have no need of anyone. You know you're guilty and you wonder, can, any, can I be forgiven? Is there any possible way? And then there is. There is. There's a high priest for us. And God loves us. The Father loves us. And He wanted to make a way that we could come to Him. That's where we come to the second point. We see Jesus, the greatest high priest. The greatest high priest. And the author of Hebrews, here's what he's trying to do. The author of Hebrews is trying to paint this picture for us of Jesus as the most magnificent, great, final high priest. And all throughout the history of Israel, the high priest, he had to be a descendant of Aaron, the first high priest. He had to be from the line of Aaron. And we're going to see in future weeks, we're going to see how Jesus is different than that. He's from a different line. But what the author's trying to do is he's trying to paint this picture that says, look at Jesus. He's the one who's the final, ultimate high priest. He's the one you can trust in. Aaron, all those who have come before you, it stops at Jesus. And he's the final, ultimate, great high priest. The one who brings us to God. And so look down at verses 5 and 6. In verse 5 it says this. So also, Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. 
And so this passage is saying, you know what, Jesus, he didn't appoint himself to be a high priest. He didn't appoint that position for himself. Rather, and this, is, this helps us see how much God loves us, God appointed Jesus for us. It's almost as if, I want you to hear God sort of having this imaginary conversation with himself. Imagine this, him saying, I love these people so much. I love them. But here's the problem. Their sin cuts them off from me. What can I do? What solution is there so that they can dwell with me? So that sinners can dwell with a holy God? I'm going to appoint Jesus to be their high priest, to represent them to me, to offer a sacrifice for them. I'm going to appoint Jesus to take up their case for me. And this shows us that God loves us. He came up with this solution So that we could know God. So that we could approach God. So that we could go into the place where the angels fear to go. Isn't that incredible? And so we see God the Father in verse 5. We see God the Father saying to God the Son, You are my Son. Today I have appointed you. And this is a quote from Psalm 2. Psalm 2 was a royal coronation psalm. It was a psalm that got read when a king was appointed, when a king was put into power. They would read Psalm 2. And we saw this psalm earlier in Hebrews. And it was written to show that Jesus, the Son, is also the King. That the Son of God is the King. And it's really important that it's coming back here. We're seeing this psalm again. It's really important that it's being quoted here. Because what this is saying is this. The Son of God. The king of kings, the one who has been appointed by God as king of the universe, the one who rules all things, the one who directs all things, Jesus, the son of God, is also appointed as your high priest. The great king is also your high priest. The king of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who sits in heaven and all of heaven worships is your high priest who represents you to God who takes up your case before the Father, who prays for you, who offers a sacrifice for you. That's Jesus who does that. The King of Kings. Man, could there be... Let's think about this. Could there be anything better than that? Could there be a better person appointed for us? Could there be a better person that God could choose to represent me? Could there be someone better? Who offered the sacrifice for my sins? Who did that? It was Jesus. Do you think that God is going to accept that sacrifice? If Jesus himself, the Son of God, offered the sacrifice for my sins, is God going to accept that? Yes, he is. He is going to accept that sacrifice. There's no doubt about it. Do you think God requires any more sacrifices? No, because the one who offered it, was Jesus, the Son, the eternal living Son of God. And because God loves us, He said, this is the one I'm going to give for them. And who is it that prays for you? Who is it? See, one of the jobs of the high priest was to pray for the people, to pray for the people of Israel. Now who is it that's praying for us? Who is it that prays for you day and night? Who is it that intercedes for you? Who is it that's saying, God, help them, give them strength, help them as they're walking through this life? Who's doing that? It's Jesus, the King. So do you think God's going to hear those prayers? Absolutely. 
Do you think that God is going to reject those prayers? No. It's as if God the Father is saying, who's the person, who can I appoint to represent these sinners? I'm going to give them Jesus, the King of Kings. And Jesus, it's not like Jesus is a temporary high priest. All throughout the Old Testament, there would be a priest and he would die and a new one would take his place. And so there was this succession of people acting as high priests and some of them were great and some of them were not so good. Some of them were faithful and some of them were not faithful. But look down at what it says in verse 6. It says, as he says in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek, this is going to be explained in further passages, but Melchizedek is this mysterious king who shows up in Genesis and there's never a record of Melchizedek dying. He obviously really did die, but in the language of scripture, there's a sense where he didn't die because it's not recorded. And so it's saying that Jesus is a priest in this order after Melchizedek. He's going to be a priest forever. He's not going to stop. He's not going to die. He is always going to be my high priest. There's no worries about a new one coming in and being unfaithful because Jesus, the Son of God, the faithful King, is always going to be my high priest, always praying for me, always interceding for me. The sacrifice that He offered once and for all, accepted by God. And He's going to be there forever. It's always Jesus' sacrifice. It's always going to cover me. It's always going to be acceptable to God because Jesus is standing right there before the Father and God always accepts it. And we sing this song that says, sing this hymn, it says, When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. When we are tempted to despair, when we're tempted to discouragement because of our sin, when we are tempted to feel like I'm done as a Christian, we need to turn our gaze away from us and to look to Jesus who made an end of all our sin. When you have sinned in impatience toward your spouse or your children or your roommate for the the thousandth time, And you just, the guilt is crushing you and you feel like, am I ever going to make any progress? The solution at that point is not to keep looking at yourself, but to look at Jesus who made an end of all your sin. Your high priest who offered himself as the sacrifice for your impatience, for my impatience. That's the solution. Look up, look out, stop looking at me, look at Jesus. Jesus, he's praying for you and he's praying that God would help you and God forgives you and loves you because, not because of anything you're going to do, but because of Jesus, your high priest, who's standing there taking up your case before God. That is where we need to look. Or when you give in to pride, like, I, man, I give in to pride so often. I, I just think I'm much better than I really am in pretty much every area of life. When you give in to pride... It's true. When I was growing up, I thought I was going to be a professional basketball player. That obviously hasn't happened, but I still, there's a chance I could make it, I think. (laughs) When you are tempted to pride and you give in again and you think, what is my problem? 
Why can I not seem to make any progress in this? And you're tempted to just dwell there and wallow in your sin and wallow in your discouragement. We need to look up and look out and look to Jesus, our high priest, who is standing there before the Father. And Jesus says to the Father, Father, I paid for that sin. I paid for that pride. It's already been paid for. And the Father says, yes, you did. And I accept it. I completely accept it. You paid for it, Jesus. I accept it. I don't hold them guilty. They are not guilty before me. They can come to me boldly, freely. No guilt, no condemnation. We need to look there, not here. When we are tempted to despair, when Satan is tempting us to despair, we need to look to Jesus, not to ourselves. So if you're tempted to despair, look to Jesus. Are you guilty? Look to Jesus, your high priest who offered the sacrifice for you. Are you weak? Look to Jesus who's praying for you. Look to Jesus. I get, it's so frustrating. I get really obsessive sometimes about my sin. It's it's ridiculous. I, I think about it. I dwell on it sometimes. And I just get so frustrated with myself, so sick of myself. And I start to get in this cycle where I'm just thinking about, Why can't I get over this? Why can't I get through this? It's like I just get obsessed with it. And there's times when I I think I need God just like to slap me in the face and say, snap out of it, you moron. Snap out of it. Look at Jesus. There's a reason I gave Jesus as a sacrifice for your sins. How about you look to him? How about you trust in him? Just snap out of it. Quit being so self-absorbed. Quit looking at yourself. And look to Jesus. Because really, thinking about myself has, I don't think it's ever once helped me in my entire life. Focusing on myself has never helped me change. Getting focused on me and what I need to do, it's never had any power to change me. It's when I look to Jesus and I trust in Jesus and I hope in Jesus and I ask for Jesus to help me, that's when I change. When I quit looking at me. So let's look to Jesus, our high priest. Because he was appointed by God for us. He's appointed for us. That's the first qualification. He had to be appointed on our behalf. And the second one, remember, the second qualification was that he had to be able to deal gently with people. Deal gently. And we see that in Jesus. Look down at verses 7 and 8. In verse 7 it says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. I want to read that again. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Throughout his entire life, Jesus learned, experientially learned the high cost of following God. He learned it through experience. When Jesus was tempted by Satan, when he was in the desert and Satan said to Jesus, Jesus, if you will worship me, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. Jesus learned at that moment what it costs to obey God. And he turned away. When the Pharisees accused Jesus of casting out demons by the power of Satan, 
He learned the cost of following God. He learned that if he was going to obey God, he was going to be accused and rejected. When Jesus was almost killed by crowds, by riots on multiple occasions, he felt the sting of following God. And I can imagine that there were times when Jesus was alone by himself. I can imagine him weeping because of the sorrow he felt at the rejection he encountered. He wasn't a robot. It's not like Jesus. We, I think we can think of Jesus as this invincible son of God, not prone to human emotions. He was a human like me and you. And I imagine that there were times when he wept because of the cost of following God to the end. Because of the rejection that he faced. Because of the loneliness. And when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane, the night before he was crucified, when he was in the garden, he came face to face right in his face with the great cost of following God. When Jesus was in the garden praying, he comes face to face with all that it is going to cost him and all that he is going to suffer to obey. And in the garden, he prayed to God. He offered up loud cries. He sweat drops of blood because he knew that coming his way. The next day, he knew he would be encountering the wrath of God. He knew that in the next several days, he was going to be hanging on the cross, swallowed up by God's wrath, and the thought of that made him tremble. Doesn't it strike you as interesting that, use your imagination with me, it's interesting, Jesus, he battled legions of demons without blinking an eye. He was sleeping in the back of a boat when a gale force storm was taking place all around him. He never, he never quivered at that stuff. He never trembled. He never hesitated. He always just went boldly where he was supposed to go. But then he comes to the garden and he's saying to his disciples, come with me and pray. He's asking for support. And as he's there, he's saying, God, would you... Would you please, if there's any possible way, could you spare me from this? He's encountering what's going to come his way. He knows that the next day he's going to experience hell on the cross. And so he's pleading with God, God, if there's any other way, could you please spare me from this? But ultimately, he submitted, didn't he? He ultimately submitted to God's will and he gave his life up on the cross and God did hear Jesus' prayers. He didn't spare him from death, but he raised him from the dead. So do you think that Jesus knows what it costs to obey? Do you think that Jesus knows how hard it is to obey? Yes, he does. He knows it. He felt it. He looked into the wrath of God. He experienced it. He knows the cost. And because of that, because he suffered, he's tender toward us. He's tender and compassionate. And he knows what it's like to obey. In verse 4, if you remember back to verse 4, it says that a high priest has to be able to deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward. Doesn't Jesus deal deal gently with us? Isn't that how he treats us? He deals gently with us. He's He's not like a football coach 
who gets in your face when you're down and he like sort of steps on your back and says, get up, suck it up. You're tougher than this. Come on. That's not what Jesus is like. He doesn't tell us just to suck it up, to spit on it, to put some dirt on it. Jesus isn't like that. And verse 8 says, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And through his incredible sufferings, Jesus learned what it costs to obey God. And that's why he can deal gently with us. When he sees us stumbling, when he sees us failing, which is so often, it's not like he says to us, hey, you, get it together. Hey, come on. I didn't sin. You shouldn't either. Jesus isn't like that. He comes alongside us and he says, I know how hard it is to obey. And I felt it too. Let me help you. Jesus comes right alongside and he says, let me help you. And some of you right now, you're discouraged because of your sin. You're so discouraged because of your sin and you want to please God. You want to serve him. You really do. You're, you know that you're a Christian and you want to serve God, but you're just discouraged by your sin. And you just feel like, I just, I don't know. I just can't seem to get over this. Maybe it's trusting God. Maybe you just worry. Like me, maybe you just worry all the time. And you want to stop worrying, you pray, you ask God, you read these books on worry, you write down little things on scripture cards to help you. And maybe you have a good week when you don't worry, but then the next week your son or daughter gets a mysterious rash and you just start worrying again. And you think, what is my problem? That's what it's going to be like when Christ returns, except infinitely louder. Isn't that going to be a cool sound? Every time I hear the train, I think about that. Jesus, I think, wait, is Jesus coming back? Oh, it's just the train. (laughs) You're discouraged because you keep stumbling in the same area. Or maybe it's patience. You just can't, maybe you're one of those really organized people. You've got it all together. You've got your calendar. You've got everything organized well in your life. And because God loves you, he has put you in regular contact with people that are not organized. And... It's not that being organized is good and being disorganized is sinful. It's personalities a lot of the times. But because God loves you, you're an organized person and he puts you with people that are not organized and you just, they do stuff that irritates you. They're late for appointments. They can't keep things together and you just find yourself not being gracious toward them. Again and again and again, you're not gracious toward them and you know what you're doing is wrong but you can't seem to change and you get sick of it and you're frustrated that you can't be patient and you feel like, because of your struggle, you feel like Jesus surely has to be just about done with me. I know I'm in the kingdom. I'm in the kingdom of God, but it's like maybe I'm just in the foyer of the kingdom of God. I'm barely in the kingdom. But that's not how Jesus is. He deals gently with us. Jesus is gentle in our suffering. He's gentle in our struggles. And that's because he knows exactly what it costs. He never sinned, but boy, does he know how hard it is to obey God. He never sinned once, but he knows how difficult it is. And so when you're struggling, he's just waiting to help us. He's just waiting. He's not sitting there with his arms crossed like, come on, can you get it together? He's just waiting. He's saying, let me help you. I know how hard this is, so please let me help you. He can help you love when you used to be selfish. He can help you be patient when you're impatient. 
It can help you trust God when it seems like you can't trust God. And so when I am discouraged and tempted to sink into despair, I need to stop myself and just go to Jesus right away and say, Jesus, help me. And I need to know that he is gracious, patient, and gentle. And he's just waiting for me to come to him. I think when we sink into sin, we tend to run away from Jesus when we should be doing the opposite. Let's go to Jesus who's just waiting to help us. He's our high priest standing ready to help. And so we need to run to him and say, Jesus, help me. And Jesus says, I've been here before. I know exactly what you need. I've been right here. I know what you need. I know exactly what you need. Whenever you do something new, isn't it true that whenever you do something new, especially if it's a little bit scary, you want somebody there to, to help you and kind of guide you through it? Like, for example, I don't think I will ever run a marathon. I don't think. But if I ever do, I want someone there like Andrew Walwark who has done it before because I want someone that's going to be able to tell me, look, right about mile 20, your body's going to start giving out. You're going to want to quit. You're going to need to be rehydrating yourself. Get some of these power gels that they're handing out at the stations. I want somebody that's going to tell me what to do. But ultimately, Andrew can't strengthen me. He can't run the race for me. And this is the difference. Jesus really can strengthen you. He really can give you power. He really can give us exactly what we need, exactly when we need it, because he's been there before. He knows what we need because he's been there before and he's just waiting to help us. He's waiting to give us the strength. So let's run to Jesus. Let's run to Jesus. In every situation where we're struggling, run to Jesus. And in verse 9, it climaxes. Look at verse 9. It says, And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And through his sufferings, Jesus has been made perfect. Perfectly able to help us. Perfectly able to sympathize with us. Perfectly able to meet us in our need. And now he's the source of eternal salvation to everyone who trusts in him. That's the kind of salvation I want, isn't it? Don't you want an eternal salvation that's not going to be taken away from you at some point? That's not dependent on your good or your bad or your ups or your downs? I want an eternal, unshakable salvation. And in Jesus, we get it. We have it in Jesus. He offers it an eternal salvation that He has won for us, that God is never going to take away from us because it all depends on Jesus. And Jesus has already finished His race. And he's waiting for us. And he offers everlasting life to us. Isn't that good news? Jesus is our rock. We can cling to him. We can hope in him. We can trust in him. We don't have to be afraid that our salvation is going to be taken away because we can trust in Jesus Christ, our great high priest who has secured our eternal salvation. So what I want us to do now, can we stand together? I want to sing and I want to turn our eyes away from us. I want to stop thinking about us for a bit. And I just want to ask Greg and the band to come up. And we're going to sing before the throne of God above. We're going to turn our eyes to Jesus, our great high priest. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for that because you love us, you have supplied us with a great high priest who offered himself as a sacrifice for us and now intercedes for us. Jesus, we turn our eyes to you. Please help us turn our eyes away from ourselves and trust in you and hope in you. You're our only hope, Jesus. And we thank you that you are the source of our eternal salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.